I protected people from my grief. Mm. And I did a lot of what I call my kitchen floor parties mm. <laughs> when I would just lie down on the floor. It was about sinking. It was about mm. not existing, being as low as I could. And I just think... You can't see this. This mm, is too this is raw for you. Mm. And I have to present a version which is photoshopped a little bit. Mm. And now, I don't care. Welcome to Grief Encounters with me, Sasha Hamrog. And I'm Venetia Quick. We're a weekly podcast that looks at an issue that affects us all and yet remains so difficult to talk about. We'll be chatting to guests from all walks of life on the subject of death and all that comes with it. Our main aim is to motivate, comfort and create a modern space for people to share their own experiences. Could you think of someone that could benefit in listening? Tell them about Grief Encounters out every single Tuesday. On this week's episode of Grief Encounters, we spoke with the really beautiful, charismatic, amazing Emily Dean. Yeah. Uh, we spoke to her in London. This was mm-hmm. one of the episodes that we recorded in London, which was a great day. And we got to talk to so many interesting people. But Emily, I think both of us, after we talked to her, were like, oh, my God, we just want to be around her all the time. She's such an amazing person. She lost her sister, Rachel, to cancer. And it's so obvious in how she speaks about her, how important her sister was to her and how vivid still she is. still is. Yeah. And she also lost her parents in quick succession. Emily wrote a book called Everybody Died, So I Got a Dog, and I've been reading it, and uh, it's brilliant. Wasn't it such a great chat? Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I think it's interesting because she also, and possibly for the first time we spoke about her sister Rachel had a daughter mm. and her relationship with her and how that changes when you go from being auntie to sort of second mom mm. and I, I thought that was sort of interesting because mm. it happens in so many situations where obviously Emily is this cool sort mm. of journo woman about town I mean she came in with her little dog and <laughs> yeah. you know looked really good she'd been at some breakfast when we'd you know and yeah. she just like sort of floated into the room and yeah. she has a huge presence, presence yeah. which I think comes across a lot but also she's one of those people who masks I think you know maybe what's going on inside mm. and one of those people that you'd sort of go oh isn't she doing great or mm. she's doing amazingly sort of only somebody in our situation knows mm. that half the time she probably goes home, closes the door and yeah. bursts into tears. And she talks about that a little mm. bit. I think her power is in her words. I think when she starts speaking, obviously she works in radio and she's a writer, but her power is in her words because once they start to come out and she speaks about grief, she does so in such an eloquent and interesting and again, she is funny. Mm, very so funny, funny. <laughs> there's a term she uses for us that's uh, that's like we're kind of like the death squad yeah. um, <laughs> you guys can uh, yeah check it out today's guest Emily Dean is a writer for the Times she hosts the incredibly entertaining Walking the Dog podcast she co-presents the Frank Skinner show on Absolute Radio and also has somehow found time to write her own memoir Everybody Died So I Got a Dog Loss has unfortunately played a large part in your life over the last number of years. I'd love to start if you could tell us a little bit about your sister, Rachel. Yeah. Hi, by the way. It's so nice to be here with you girls. Um, Is it okay to still say girls? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy. I like gals as well. Um, And we have Raymond the dog here. Yes, we do. We're not just just girls. Very, very cute dog. (laughs) He likes women. Yes. Yeah. He likes a village of women. Yeah. So my sister, Rachel, I wrote this book essentially about the loss of my sister and both my parents and 
as I describe in this, it was the speed and the swiftness of it. Mm. And I know you both have experienced loss, but there's no better way, as we know. There's no better or worse. But for me, I compared it to the Game of Thrones episode, like the Red Wedding. Yeah. Everyone was gone, you know, mm. and that's a different kind of loss to process. Mm. And with my sister, it's, again, a loss which I know you've experienced, which is the sense of a life interrupted and the sense of her being 43. She just had her second child who was just about to turn one. Mm. And it was all really significant to me that my sister sort of hung on for her first birthday. And I don't have children. And I remember my mother saying to me, I said, look, she's about to have chemotherapy. She got very sick very quickly. It was literally, we were trying on clothes in Topshop one day and she was saying, I can't shift this baby weight. And it turned out it was actually a swollen abdomen from the cancer. Wow. So sorry to start with such technical stuff so early on and, and to keep it on a downer, but that, you know, I suppose why am I apologising for that? We have to be yeah. honest about these mm. things and... I don't have to say that. But it also creates awareness, I think, as well, that sometimes we sort of go, oh, yeah, that's because of that, or I have a headache because I had a drink yesterday Mm. or whatever. But actually, sometimes without scaremongering people, it can be much more. And that's, and that's how a lot of important. Times, that's how the story starts. It's, yeah. it's you're in Top Shop. The yeah. most, you know, so yeah. when you said that, it's like such a sister thing mm. to be doing. Yeah, and we used to do this sort of clothes rap battle thing. So we'd be trying things on, and she'd say, "Oh no, you look a bit like you know you're an ex raver who owns a stall in Camden Market." And <laughs> it was a fun thing that we would do, and I remember so vividly. So, someone said to me recently, "How did you remember everything?" With Slightly accusatory tone. I was like, you're suggesting I made it up. No, they, <laughs> they weren't. But I think it was so interesting that I thought when you've experienced these sort of things, the vividness, I will never mm. forget those things that mm. were said at that moment. And so, yeah, that stuck in my mind, that incident in Topshop. So she then got sick very quickly. And within, I guess, three and a half weeks of her diagnosis, she died. Yeah. <gasps> oh, God, wow. It was pretty awful. So she was diagnosed um, last, it was sort of just after just after Christmas, just before New Year, and she died um, the 21st of Jan. So there was no ramp, and that was strange. Mm. Did she, did she, I mean, this is, I don't even know if you can answer this question, but was she in any way able to process what was happening in that shorter period of time? Well, do you know, that's a good question, because I think for her, and she and I were very close, I should say, because we grew up in this... I mean, it's a sort of family I've I've come to love really mm. now, which is not much use because they're not here anymore. <laughs> but I do. But it's comforting, though. It I is think, comforting, yeah. you know, because I have lovely memories of them, and I think my family were sort of a circus. I compared it to my parents were performers. My mum was an actor, and my dad was a BBC arts reporter in the sixties, and so when he started. But it was a peripatetic, slightly unstable childhood, and lots of bohemian artists who are great fun to be around, but if you want fish fingers on the table at, at <laughs> you know, 5pm, they're not your people. Yeah. You know, if you want canapes for breakfast and great philosophers <laughs> talking through the night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so my sister was my, I called her my lighthouse. She was home. Mm. And so the loss represented a lot to me, but I think I was also just really conscious that she'd done all those she'd hit her beats she had the Farrah and ball door and the husband and the puppy called mm. giggle and the two kids and i was this woman with parking tickets and stilettos in her car and it should have been me 
You know, I really felt survivor's guilt, I think, over that. But I think with her, sorry to answer your question about her processing it, it was so quick. And I remember she said she didn't want to talk about going. And I was very conscious with her youngest daughter, Bertie, who was only one. She was sort of handing her over to me quite a bit. And that was sort of heartbreaking. Because mm. I thought, oh, my God, is that a real act of selflessness as a mother mm. that you're sort of thinking this is who you're going to who's going to be in your life now? And I don't. But she only mentioned it a few times. She said to me once about Mimi, her daughter, who was then 10 at the time. She said she just said it very sort of to cast it aside, you know, tossed it aside and said, oh, can you take her to bribe bra? And I, it was so strange. It just, and I said, yeah, yeah, of course. And she said, and talk to her about periods and things, because men are rubbish at that. Anyway, and then she went on to the next mm. thing, and I thought, God, that sounds silly, but a conversation like that was so huge to me, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Did that make... Or so has... I'm laughing in a bad yeah. way. No. I've got you to cry or I'm whatever. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just wondering, by doing that, does that make it easier for you? I mean, obviously, you're involved with the kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, does that does that make it slightly easier that your sister lives on through them or does it make it more difficult to see because we were having a conversation actually just an hour or two ago on on the airplane about my youngest son couldn't be more (laughs) like my husband in personality and temperament and just the way he carries on and sometimes I find that really sad and sometimes I just go well Martin lives on and this is great because Casper is Martin and he goes on and but then sometimes I find that really hard and it's yeah. that mm. balance And is your hard husband find. was kind of a similar age, wasn't he? He was 49. Yeah, 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 to my sister. So it's, I think, I, I think that's a really good question, actually, because I know that some of my sister's friends, and I don't know if you experienced this when you lost Martin, mm. but some of my sister's friends struggled a bit, I think, with even spending time with me. Yeah. And one of them said it's very weird when I speak to you because you sound like her. Mm. And I think with the girls, what's tough is they represent loss. They Mm. represent her absence. My niece Mimi, like you were saying about Casper, is the spitting image of my sister. And you know what's weird? Sometimes friends will say, oh my God, her eyebrows. It's really strange Mm. little details like that. But, you know, my sister used to have a thing we used to say, great brows, ma'am, because someone once said that to her in New York. And (laughs) You know, this scent sprayer, it was this really camp (laughs) scent sprayer. And he came up to her and squirted her with Mark Jacobs. And it was the fact that he came up and he squirted her with Mark Jacobs. I never forgot. He went, great brows, ma'am. And we said it all the time. Have a nice day. Yeah, yeah, it was. And it was like, Rach said, yeah, I mean, she said I loved him because I could tell he was gay because, you know, it was no straight man. But you know what? I say that to Mimi now and there's a continuity. Mm. So I suppose I love that. I will tell her stuff about my sister and I think yeah. she is my sister and actually it is a process, as we all know, and it's tough sometimes, but it's kind of beautiful and mm. I love that mm. and I hope you feel that with your kids, that it's that's my sister, that's her essence, that's mm. who she is and, you know... That's you. People always say with loss, don't they? That you, you never forget the person because the loss becomes part of you and you fold it into yourself, mm. and you change. Oh, you change, and your yeah, and yeah. your children change. Yeah, you know the different people without doubt, without doubt. 
I think the term is secondary losses, although I'm not really sure how what the right terminology is. Mm. Um, but after if you've had if you've lost someone and then you in quick succession you lose someone else, and like you said, I think that is a very strange territory in terms of how the grief processes, especially if it's a short period of time, because yeah. you've hardly gotten through one thing, or you might be starting to come to terms or whatever the right way to say it would be and then something else happens and it and it compounds it and it's such a it's such a bigger thing I mean how long was it between um, losing your sister that you lost your and parents my parents and yeah it's interesting I call it whack-a-mole because you're sort of you know it's that fairground game where you're thinking oh, I'm just dealing with that oh no another thing's yeah. popping up and it's yeah it's impossible to to sort of keep tabs on all yeah. those emotions that and I so after my sister died and another thing that I didn't realise was quite... I thought it was like movies where we'd all cry and everyone would be very... There'd be all this warmth and there'd be mm. no complications. And, of course... It's a hard thing we to all navigate. Know it's not yeah. like that. And it brings up strange things. Families' mm. dynamics get destroyed. Mm. And I... It's like a rock being lifted mm. up and suddenly everyone's role has changed. Mm. And I don't know if that's something you guys experienced. We actually literally <laughs> talked about yeah. that as well on the plane, the whole... I think... I mean, like I've experienced people who just can't be in the house, um, mainly male friends, mm. because they just, you know, it's mm. just they, they, they're they in, out, just can't. Other people sort of just don't want to talk about it. Other people really? want to talk about it all the time. Mm. You know, and I just think people, and one thing we've discovered with this podcast is everybody grieves so totally differently. Yeah. And whereas I was initially would get angry with somebody not grieving the way I thought they should be grieving, now I realise that you've got to let people grieve the way they grieve yeah. and that's how they do it and not just because you're the person who's lost someone because they have too. Yeah, mm. yes, exactly. And you, you know. do... I th- Sorry, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say, I think that th- th- what you said is, is so true. It, like, I, f- I, was, I, I was completely in the same boat where I thought it was going to be about crying. I thought it was going to be about sadness. I thought maybe it would be about depression. But I didn't think it was going to be about anger and family rifts mm. and battles about things you didn't even understand and drawing lines in the set. And, like, all of those things just shocked me that that was part of it because it felt like things are already so hard. Why are we yeah. engaging in this? But actually, now I see it so much as part of grief that mm. everyone is is struggling and that's a natural part of that struggle. Do you think also it's outrage in a way and fear and confusion at being confronted with that mortality? Mm. So it's a need to impose control, isn't it? Because mm. you've lost, it's the ultimate loss of control is losing someone you mm. love very much. And so I think when me and my mother were arguing about whether to use the King James version of Corinthians or, (laughs) you know, and literally screaming at each other in the Mm. funeral directors or why have you put no, Rach hated red roses, Mm. they're disgusting, she thought that. So, you know, my father, actually, when he was around, was was a very intelligent man and was capable of some brilliant insights and he always said, rouse are never what they're about. No, it's so true. And I I sort of, you know... um, it's true. We all know that's true. So, sorry, to get back to what you were saying earlier, I lost my sister and she died, as I said, very swiftly. So within this kind of, you know, shockingly swift time frame of like three weeks or something, she got sick end of December and then she was dead by the end of January. And then my mum, who was a very... She was had been an actor and she was a drama teacher as well. And she was that person 
at the party who was there when the lights were, you know, dancing to Don't mm. Stop Me Now with a, you know, <laughs> glass of champagne. I and love her. Yeah, <laughs> she she's was. me. She was brilliant, yeah. She's, and she would say, I hate sitting with the oldies. And my sister would say, you know, you're 70s. Yeah. <laughs> but um, she, was a, she was a character, you know. She was, and so to see the decline in her was quite shocking. Mm. And suddenly, so she got motor neuron disease I think it was a year or ten months after Rach died, mm. and then she died a year after that. So, and then my dad died only six months later after my mum. So it was within three years they'd all died. And mm. actually, I was estranged from my dad, which is complicated and mm. was complicated. And I had a moment with him on the deathbed where he looked up and he looked at me, and our eyes just met. And it was really weird. I re- I'll never forget that moment. And I. I compare it to him saying, oh, you came. I'm glad you came. Mm. And it's not the movies where you say, I'm sorry, Daddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't happen. Yeah. But just Be that known. look, we didn't need to say any more. Yeah. It's kind of, OK, you came, we're OK. And actually just from that moment, I think... But, you know, also, I would say to people who haven't been present, because I had someone I know recently who wasn't present when they lost a sibling, and I really wanted to reassure them it doesn't make any difference. Mm. Listen, if you're there, you'll say to yourself, I didn't mm. say the right thing. Mm. And Yeah. I mean, my last text to Martin was dishwasher. Do you know what I mean? And really? then, like, he died and I always sort of go, oh, I should have just double-checked he was okay. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So you always have that. Or if somebody, I don't know, if you lose somebody suddenly in a motor accident or something, that is so many times you don't get to say goodbye mm. anyway. So I think that's something you have to work through in your own head. Yeah. And that only takes time. And did he die? He died at home. Yeah, yeah. suddenly. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the things that surprised me, what you mentioned about the TV, like that, you know, you'd be holding a bed. Yeah. The, we imagine death mm. to be holding someone's hand and that they exchange these words of wisdom, possibly. And with parents, mm. I definitely, with my dad, I was like, I wanted to learn as much in those last mm. few days. Like, what can he, is there anything he's going to say to me or I need to mm. say to him? And it was so the opposite of that. Really? It wasn't anything like that. I mean, he was kind of like, can you please get my laptop going so I can do work? <laughs> was he, he was consumed mm. by wanting to do his job. Yeah. Then he wanted to watch rugby and football. <laughs> then I asked him for relationship advice and he said, oh, honey, I haven't a clue. Like, and I just thought he'd say like, something brilliant. And then the last words he said to me were, and this is something that's hard to say, but the reality, mm. he, was, he was on morphine and they didn't yeah. make any sense. And they still don't make any sense because they... They were just, you know, but I was there when he died. And then my, when my mom died, I'd been by her bedside like every minute of mm. every day. And I stepped out to get a, yeah. I stepped out to get lunch and she died. And she in the time. It, yeah. it yeah. is a thing that people feel like there will be time or that it's, it almost feels like it's never going to be what you Well, expected. it doesn't always go according to plan either. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, with Martin, he wasn't supposed to, like he had cancer. And we'd only talked about the night before what would happen in yeah. the 18 months that he we expected he'd have. Do you know what I mean? There was no mm. plan that no. I was going to walk out the door and he was going to go. So it's sort of like, I think that's probably maybe also one of the shocks. Yeah. When somebody really close to you dies, and especially if they have been sick, because you have mm. this great plan in your head about how they're going to go and you're going to go like totally in love and... It, it doesn't always work no. out like that. It's well, just... you're so right, because you get that sense, and I did, of obviously with 
partners and parents and siblings. Mm. This is the thing about close familial relationships. It, it's sort of different to friends because we do, to a degree, we PR ourselves with friends. They don't see, sorry, my headphones fell off just at a really poignant <laughs> moment. They don't see, I suppose, the ugliness and the pain in quite the same way yeah, that people behind are behind closed intimate. doors. Yeah. yeah. And I think... I was conscious with my sister of thinking every single, you know, I had this Aria Stark list in my head of all the things I'd done to her, you know, when I I stole her Walkman in 1986 <laughs> and I lied and then she found it in my bag. And it was all these things and I just wanted to make it up to her. I thought mm. I can just have enough time yeah. to be good and of course I didn't. And so I had exactly what you've described of sitting there in this intensive care unit thinking... What do I do? No one told me what to do. Do I make a speech like the movies? But then actually, you know what struck me? I don't want her to know that she's dying. Mm. I want her to feel mm. that she's going to sleep. So I just sort of made this decision that it was her ending, not mine. It wasn't mm. my right to impose closure on that moment. Mm. So I just chatted to her. But, you know, and we did sort of, me and my mother and my brother-in-law had a sort of house style going, which was gentle, mm. and we'd talk, and occasionally we'd say things like I'd laugh at my mother's clothes, and then my sister would open her eyes and have this mischievous look, because that was what we did. And <laughs> yeah. that was one of our final things, which I love because it was so us, is I said, well, you know, I mean, the real tragedy is Mum's outfit today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was... She, opened her, she just looked at me as if to say, good, we're mm. still... Mm. still we're still the same people. And yeah. It's good to say about humour, because we're just laughing mm. there about something, and it's yeah. brought me back to... The actual the week Martin died and there were two of our friends who just came out with these same buzzwords all the way through that just every time one of them came out with it, it was just like me and my best friend would have a giggle or when The Undertaker came round and called me the wrong name all the way through. <laughs> like, I love things. But it was like, oh it was all the way through for like two hours planning thing. I'm oh, very sorry for loss. Venetia, Venetia, Venetia. <laughs> and it was actually my mother-in-law had used to call me that so it was incredibly funny and Martin would have found it terribly funny. Yeah. And I was just thinking about you know the way you're laughing there about your mum's outfit yeah. and how important humour is mm. to oh, yeah. get you like and some people just don't understand it they sort of go oh she's laughing she must be grand yeah. but it's like mm. I oh, think no, it sort of yeah. gets you you need it to get you through I think you do and also that particular kind of gallows humour which yes. is you yeah. know there was the priest said at my um when my mum died, I think. So hard to remember, I've got so many. So, yeah. But when my mum died, um, and in fact, when Frank Skinner, my colleague, interviewed me recently, he was talking about it, and he said, I'm sorry, but that priest came out. It was a great gag. Whatever yeah. he and he said at my mum's funeral, he opened with, I do keep telling Emily, we must stop meeting like this. <laughs> and what was weird was I laughed, but I noticed mm. the people Nobody in the... Else, there was a yeah. sort of, is this OK to laugh at mm. this? Cause, but... I liked it. I liked it when, you know, my sister, who was sort of, I guess, spiritual rather than conventionally and formally religious, but she, she had that, you know, she wanted to see a priest. And when she was at the hospital and she'd first got the diagnosis, she'd seen a priest. And he was what I call our sort of priest. He, mm. he was very sort of quite... He was good if you weren't sort of religious. So mm. he was talking about spirituality and family. I don't know that much about religion, so I didn't realise there's a whole other type of priest. And mm. being from Ireland, you'll be more familiar with yeah. this, presumably, which is a ter yeah. terrible generalisation for me. But he turned up with a bloody silk stole yeah. and cat. Mm. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no this is like one, the one, omen. No. Uh, we at the I, wrong funeral. <laughs> honestly, as he turned up, I could tell. I thought, oh, I've made a terrible booking. Mm. I've booked yeah. the wrong guy for the gig. And he starts reading from the Bible in this solemn tone. And my mum was great, because, again, she dismantled it after mm. he left. She said... 
well, she was a bit far and brimstone, dear. <laughs> like he was a drag queen or something. I was yeah, like, yeah. but I, those things you remember. Mm. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos, and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion, and empathy for those grieving. This humor brings me back to the title of your book, Yes, which long before you were ever going to be a guest on our podcast, and I'm very glad you are, when I saw the title of the book, like immediately immediately hit home for me because my sister and I that's how we deal with it so we everybody died right so we're like well before <laughs> there was before everybody you know before everybody died it was like this and then everybody died and now it's like this and there's yeah. kind of this two worlds yes yes before everybody died and after everybody mm. died and there's a disconnect from your your original family like Mm-mm. do you struggle with being alone in, in trying to rem- your memories and connecting to them and how do you like I have certain friends who are very good at bringing my parents they'll say they'll take me back to something and they will they do it on purpose they, you can tell that they, they make sure to mention them and memories yes. maybe that aren't memories that aren't at the top of my mind do you feel that, that does that help sometimes to have those type of people or do you feel that disconnect between the past and the and present and the present well you're right I always say it feels like my witnesses have gone, my fellow witnesses to everything that we had. And there's something about your, you know, the family you grow up with in whatever form that takes, that it's, um, it defines you. It's who you are. And I will sometimes, I had moments when I would go to ring my sister about something funny or mm. I'd pass somewhere or something funny would happen and I would go to pick up the phone and this sinking feeling of, I've got no one to tell. No one understands this. So I definitely felt losing all of them. That was tough. Just yeah. that sense of, you know, I was the last mm. one at the party. The lights had come on. They'd all got cabs. And, mm. you know, I, I I couldn't get one home and I was stuck there on my own. So what's really helpful for me is friends. I have my best friend, Jane Goldman, who's been my childhood best friend. And so she knew Rach. She knew oh, my mm. family. She'll say, do you remember when we did this? Do you remember that? And 
I love that. Mm. You know, she's mm. still got videos that she made of when we were like 12 doing play. And that, mm. that feels like home. Mm. And also I love it. I talk to Frank a lot about stuff my parents said and did. Mm. And I guess that's important. And also weirdly, writing the book, that feels like I've sort of kept their memory alive. Oh, yeah. Oddly, mm. it feels like... But I think the more you talk or once... I think also once it's in print yeah, and yeah. their name is in print... I sort of found that with Martin afterwards because we did a big gig and everything yeah. for him and I, sort of all the newspaper articles yeah. and everything about him and once I saw his photo in the paper again with his name there yeah. it was like oh he's still sort of yeah. he's still there mm. still sort of well his you know, legacy's there yeah you know and that's like with your parents I'm sure as well it's that thing of I was I think what surprised me so much about loss is how someone's loss becomes a legacy if you want it to, mm. you know, and it's hard. And obviously the first two years, forget it. You know, all that, you're not going to do any alchemy in the first two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no time limit. We know it might take you five years, 10 years. But there does come a point, or there did for me at least, when I thought, right, how can I make sense of this? How can I make sense of this? And actually it was turning the loss of those people, Yeah, I suppose folding them into me. And then that becomes, they're part of me. Mm. So now... I feel with the book, I'd never have done that if they hadn't have died. Mm. Mm. And that for me, I mean, it sounds terrible when you talk about this because it's like, well, you know, because they died, I was able to write a book. But <laughs> but it's more that actually, you know, it's whether you're going to turn that loss into... Something positive. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And oftentimes loss can kind of really hold you to task as to who you are and the stuff you're made of, right? So you can work on yourself and you can then develop abilities to do things mm. you didn't ever expect. I remember um, I've said this on the podcast once before but a therapist that I went to after my mom died said there's a richness in this and she kept saying it and I kept thinking I do not know what this woman is talking about. There's no richness in this. This is lot. I'm devastated. Mm. This is emptiness not richness. Mm. But I now completely understand because it just I don't know if I'll use the right words, expanded my heart and opened my yeah, heart does. and my mind too in ways that I didn't think was possible. I mean, even hearing you talk, it sounds like the relationships you had with them, they're still sort of a working thing. Yeah, they're definitely. They're not just something that just kind of gets closed mm. and put away. No, and I genuinely think that because I have to say, you know, with a sibling, and again, I'm sure you guys have experienced this. It's like, are you married? Do you have a, mm. you know, and I find, do you have any brothers or sisters? Mm. And the first time someone asked me that was weird because I'd gone on some press trip. I was working for a fashion magazine and I was with all these glamorous people. I think David Gandhi was there. It was kind of like <laughs> someone had said, do you want to go to Montenegro with David Gandhi? And I knew there'd be 30 <laughs> let me, other let me people. think about that. Yeah, me, but I thought, I'm only going to go because I can tell people I went to Montenegro with David Gandhi. I won't mention others were there. Mm. It'll sound like we had a mini break. Yeah. Um, but no, what was interesting was a journalist, very well-meaning journalist, who was also on this press trip, just said, oh, are you, is your sister working for a magazine? Oh. There's another woman with the surname Dean. Mm. And I said, no, no. And Jo Elvin, who's a friend of mine who mm. used to edit Glamour and now it's you magazine, she knew the story. And she tried to change the subject and he just said again, no, 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 she looks just like you. Have you got a sister, though? <laughs> I think I'm sure. <laughs> and yeah. I didn't know what to say. Yeah. And do you know what I realised after that moment? I thought... I denied her existence in that moment. And that's okay because I I panicked, but I never want to deny her existence because I'm thrilled that she existed. So next time I made a real point, I thought, well, I denied her existence because it was socially awkward. 
Do you not think it was because also you didn't want to make that guy feel really in an awkward You've got position? It. And I was protecting him yeah. from my grief mm. and I now think, but in protecting him from my grief, I denied mm. my sister's existence yeah. and actually that's more important mm. that I don't do that. So from then on, and we all do that, don't we? We do it all the time. It's Oh, I have straight up mm. lied. Yeah, I've told people like, oh, they live in America. Yeah. My parents live in America. They're fine. They're, oh, they're loving their their retired years. Everything's great because I just have you. Well, yeah, just because. Just sometimes, like, it's not what I would do every time, but you definitely get the. And where does your where do your parents live? Oh, they used to. And then people start then the questions, and you just feel like just. I think what Venetia said is. I probably do it to make them feel more comfortable because mm. you want to tread around. And actually, when I did that it was a wake up call because I woke up and I couldn't stop thinking about how I felt like I'd sort of let her down mm. and and I just thought well people are just going to have to accept this and the next time I just said I had a sister but she died and I miss her every day oh, and then I think what I'm saying is look I'm okay I can say this without breaking down but I need to put this out there and actually do you know what's weird ever since I started doing that I'll say that in a dinner party there's a moment I'm mm. not going to lie there's mm. a moment and then they say, oh, my God, I lost someone. Or if they don't say mm. that, they'll say, oh, what happened? And and then you have a real conversation, conversation. with someone yeah. instead of talking about trivia. But isn't that the whole point as well, that we don't talk about grief in the same way? Mm. So you might be sitting beside somebody in the pub or at a dinner party and get talking and you both have this massive thing in common. I know. And yet, because mm. one of you is holding back for whatever, yeah. whether it's fear of getting upset yourself, fear of upsetting somebody else, that you don't have the conversation, which you might mm. go away feeling so much better after yeah. having. And don't you think you do? I mean, I always, you know, it's it's smug, smug gum grief club that we're in. <laughs> but there is this thing. Always, it is a club, though. No, we're in the club. OK, I'm the treasurer because <laughs> I had uh, three in three years. I didn't want to be a member. <laughs> Don't want to boast, but um, yeah. three in three years, OK? So you two have got yeah. some catching up. Yeah. Um, but, but it was interesting because I was at breakfast this morning at a press thing and I was chatting to this lovely girl who was a presenter on Channel 4 and she was chatting and it was a nice conversation and then she suddenly said, my sister died. Mm. And do you know what? The conversation, obviously, from then on, mm. she was my best friend. It mm. was like, it's that bonding thing of, but I think we need to, and I know you two think this, but we just need to talk more about this. I I find it so strange that there's so much embarrassment and mm. awkwardness around it and this idea that don't bring your grief in the room, don't talk about it. Since I wrote this book, I'm overwhelmed by I was going to say by the amount of men that have got in touch with me. It's like <laughs> the underwear shots of me. In but just reaching out saying, I don't know how to talk about this. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's terrible that no one tells you. No one has... Do you think there's shame too, Emily? Like, mm. I, that's, I felt very ashamed. Did I felt you? like embarrassed, yeah. you said, but like very much at the core, whatever that sh- shame thing is that's deep down in that well of like from, I don't know, I just was so... You're Irish, that's the whole yeah, exactly. thing. Well. <laughs> just so... Deeply embarrassed that I was sad. Did your parents stay close? Yeah, they did. A couple of years between them. Do you think? Because what I had was that sense of, I think I felt my friends had had a lot to bear, and that I felt embarrassed. I mean, Mm. I quote in my book Mm. that Brenda from Bristol, the snap election. Oh, you're joking! I literally expected people to... I thought they were saying that behind closed doors. I thought they were saying she's doing this for attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly. And they thought, oh, God, typical Emily. (laughs) But it's it's like that thing where, you know, you have this vision that 
you always ring one person or two people in your phone your name comes up on their phone they're like oh, reject no, not her just, again I can't yeah. talk about that guy She's anymore it's all griefy grief face again with it and that's so you feel head like was the sort of yeah mm. I call I refer to myself I felt like you know they have that skull in the Renaissance painting to remind you of mortality That's that was my yeah. brand was yeah. oh here she comes the raven mm. at the picnic mm. and that's hard because I sort of felt that wasn't who I was, no. but equally, yeah, it was tough. And I think I, again, I don't know how you two dealt with this, but it's only in retrospect that I can see I protected people from my grief. Mm. And I did a lot of my, what I call my kitchen floor parties, mm. when I would just lie down. I would actually lie down on the floor and I don't know what it was. It was about getting close to the ground. Mm. I mean, it, it was about sinking. It was about mm. not existing, being as low as I could. And I would just lie there. And I would just, and I would hit the phone would be going, the texts and the voicemails would be going, and I just think, you can't see this. This mm, is too this is raw for you. Mm. And I have to present a version which is photoshopped a little bit. Mm. And now I don't care. Mm. And actually, the funny thing is, when I was writing the book, everyone said, it'll be so cathartic. Mm. Yeah, it's cathartic, but I think it would be really irresponsible of me to completely lie about that and say every day I sat down and there were mm. snow white birds tweeting mm. it wasn't it was tough I had three ghosts I was living with for the year mm. I wrote it I love that I've written it and it was great and I think I processed a lot of difficult stuff while I wrote it but it was a difficult process and during this process I realized afterwards what was weird guys was that I got really depressed afterwards. I'm mm. sorry, that's, that noise is my dog. <laughs> Ray, sit down. It's not about you, OK? Um, it is about it you. Is the whole about book's you about answer, you. Yeah. So, um, but you know what was weird? After I'd written it, I had this really bad depression mm. for about three months. And you know what I realised afterwards? It's because I was letting them go again. Mm. And I'd sort of, almost for that period mm. while I was writing it, I You're living them with them again. Do you know what I mean? I was telling yeah. these stories and they were with me, and I was. I only realised afterwards. I thought that's I'm relosing them, mm. and I I went a bit underground, and I didn't want to see people. I, I I didn't have the perspective to work out why. And the comic actually, Catherine Ryan, who's a friend of mine, yeah. and um, she kept texting, and I was, and she said she sort of said, "Is everything all right?" And I could tell she thought she'd upset me in some mm. way. And I thought, I've got to be honest, and I told her. Mm. And because she's sort of cool and tough and acerbic, and I thought, I can't tell her this. But of course I did, and I just ended up going around to her. <laughs> and she was amazing. Mm. And it brings you closer. Of mm. course it does. What do you think your relationship with writing is going to be like now? Because you've done this, right? And and this is a big experience, a life-defining, mm. mm. like the life-defining. But now you've written a book. And this no, is incredible. Do you think you'll write a, another one? I hope so. I mean, luckily, people seem to be liking it. And when you sort of test the water a bit with the first book, don't you? And you think, well, is this all right? Mm. And luckily, the response seems to be nice, which is great. And so I sort of feel I would really like to. I'm thinking about what the next book would be, and I, I am going to write another book. But I think, to be honest, this was always going to be the toughest thing to write mm. because it's so personal and I didn't make it easy for myself because the first book is a bit sort of, you know, wet your pants anywhere in terms of, oh, my God, what's everyone going to think? 
and to make the content so deeply personal. Mm. And it's exposing, isn't it? You're exposing mm. your innards, your, you know, exes are reading But also this in all and... the interviews and stuff, you have to keep talking about it again, which is great because, again, yeah. it keeps them alive. But sometimes you're just reliving the story mm. again or reliving what happened again, which can be really upsetting. <laughs> well, you know, you although know? oddly doing this kind of interview, I actually love because to me it's... As long as I think being honest isn't exhausting. Mm. It's putting on a front that's yeah. exhausting. Yeah. And weirdly, it's more tiring thinking, oh, I've got to do this thing where I've I've got to be guarded or mm. but just, you know, chatting to other people in a smug dead club. <laughs> that's my dream. <laughs> We're changing the name of the podcast. Yeah, smug dead club. Smug dead because club. I sort of think actually, yeah, I understand that it's hard for some people who haven't experienced it to know what to say and do. And I get that. And I mm. know why, you know, at the time I remember getting cards from really well-meaning lovely people which read like they'd been written in 1820 <laughs> yeah. by governors <laughs> saying... Yeah. On this sad occasion of your loss, <laughs> yeah, would you say that to me? I mean, no. you know, and do you know what? There was a friend of mine, Mawena, and she just sent me an email when I got back, and I said, you know, when you send the messages yeah. to people, it's overwhelming, isn't it? Mm. Saying, but I sort of found that cathartic. Telling people, I thought, while I'm telling people, it hasn't actually happened because it, it it was odd for me that people said it's hard to tell people, and I thought. No, because I'm rewinding time. Yeah. I'm still with... Mm. Yeah. And I've got the control. I've got the control of being the newsbreaker rather than receiving the news. But I remember telling my friend Mawena and she just said there was a series of expletives mm. on this email. And that felt so honest and true. Mm. And to me, that was so comforting. And mm. like I said, as well-meaning as these mm. on this sad occasion of your sibling's yeah. demise... But we've discussed deep, that. Deeper, yeah. like, I actually think Rob Delaney says so beautifully. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. But one of the things he talked about was one of the people that worked with his family, I think mm. he, that she helped look after the kids. And when she found out that his son, Henry, was quite sick mm. she just started wailing and yeah. fell to the floor and said oh no and mm. he said yeah, yes <laughs> finally someone is having the kind of reaction that, that they we should yeah. be having and yes. she wasn't worrying about being over the top she was that empathy of I, she didn't want his son to be sick and die and the politeness is gone out of it yeah. and that it's em empathy it's ironic that in a way empathy gets built through the like yeah yeah because then you start to see the world in a different way there can be a frustration in like almost like people hide behind things so they don't have to call because empathy feels difficult some it feels mm. uncomfortable well it's raw and it's tapping into an emotion that we don't use often mm. in a sense because we all do put on a front you know we have to 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 sort of get by and do our jobs and everything but it it does mean that I remember at my sister's funeral and there was a girl who just sort of fell upon me and hugged me and I found it very touching. Mm. And a friend of mine said afterwards in the most well-meaning way, she said, well, I saw that and I thought this woman throwing herself at you with this grief and I thought, no, mm. I loved that. Mm. I loved that she cared, she was upset. Mm. And I think people want to protect you, but any sort of um, nicety and politeness, mm. that was what... I struggled with Yeah, it's the sort of awkward sort of... I always find in those situations, I start talking about something else because mm. yeah. I start feeling really <laughs> awkward and I start talking about something completely random, mm. you know. What just do you mean, what if someone's... Well, if somebody's sort of struggling with what to say mm. yeah, about... yes. You feel You the... know, that, and I sort of feel that... You can feel that they're just so out of their depth 
that you try and save the situation mm. by going, oh my God, I went to this really great restaurant last night. It was do, 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 mm. do, 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 and you change it completely just to but that's empathy on your behalf. Yeah, yeah. But you do that. <laughs> I find that I do that them, yeah. so much more like in a lot of ways mm. because you're just trying you're to save You're making it okay for yeah. them. And, and I, I think, think so. women are naturally, you know, I think there is that thing of caretaking a bit mm. and looking after everyone and making sure the atmosphere is okay. And I was always someone who did that anyway because I grew up with sort of performers and that was what we did. My parents mm. were just... You had to be on. You know, Frank always says about my childhood, he said, you grew up in a green room, essentially. That's what <laughs> we were always on. So yeah. we went to a dinner party once and... I always remember director said of this woman who was sitting there, someone had brought their partner in this, she was quite a quiet, sort of introverted woman, and this director just turned around and said, you have contributed nothing to this evening. And it was so interesting that that in my dynamic was normal, that it's like, mm. you've got to be on, bring mm. something to the table. Mm. So I think with the grief thing, I still had that sense of, I've still got to perform, I've still got to yeah. bring something. Where but especially that... I think if you're somebody who has sort of, a big personality or yeah. whatever people do expect you to be on. You to sort of go back to sort of the way you are. Yeah, they do. And quickly. You know, and, and you said, someone once said to me, oh, are oh, you crying? What's wrong? And I said, I never forgot this. I said, it will always be about my sister. Mm. It will always be. Mm. Because nothing, you know, that, what happens. It just, but yeah. in a way it is, but it's, it's amazing because every time that happens, I remember her and I think I'll never forget her and I'll mm. never forget my parents. That's that's why you've got to feel and talk about it because mm. that's that's honouring. That's a legacy. It's honouring them. Thank you so much. Thank you.